So uh, with me, I have Perry Arcolino. He's a bespoke shoemaker based in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Uh, been doing this and continuing to do it um, for about four decades now. Um, your father was a shoemaker, and you've kind of carried it on, I guess. Um, and you know, you've done shoes for celebrities, for uh, sports stars, and and for your, I guess, somewhat average Joe, um, if we can say someone, um, an average person would like your bespoke average, shoes. And your average. And your average Phillips and Georges and all of that other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And and so, you know, kind of had this very wide range of, um, I guess, shoemaking experience. You studied abroad in, in Italy and, you know, you've worked with some, I guess, well-known international um, shoemakers. Uh, I guess Stefano Bremer, is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Yeah, being the, mm-hmm. the most famous one, the guy who had, I think... Um, uh, Daniel Day Lewis as his apprentice at one point. So, I mean, Correct. that's. I mean, I probably didn't do much justice with that introduction. But um, is is there anything you'd like to add upon that? Uh no, I think we're fine, Philip. Not a problem. All right. Well, I guess um, maybe we'll just start from the beginning. I mean, your your father was a shoemaker, but I mean, Correct. is that really what um, got you into shoes in the first place? Just maybe seeing them all the time or? Well, I, I think so because I was going to his workshop with him. Um, I mean, before I even started going to uh, start grade school. So that was my, my hangout and uh, all of that other stuff. Uh, so yes, I was constantly around it. And even when I was, sort of around the age of 13, I guess, 14-ish more or less is kind of where you get to tackle a few more uh, important or difficult tasks with regards to helping around the workshop. So prior to that, you know, it was the quintessential, um, you know, shoeshine stand boy that would uh, try to get the customers coming in for uh, sitting in the in the stool and putting their feet up on the pedestals for shines and whatnot, and so there was just a long history of my being in my father's workshop. So it just I seemed that uh, it was a place that had a, a, a strong gravitational pull with me as <laughs> moving forward and, and getting into the all of this. Wow. So, so, I mean, would you say that that childhood, um, I guess, experience was like an apprenticeship of sorts, or, or is it more like casual? I think it's some of each, Philip. You, you know, you you go around, you you clean up, uh, sweep up the floor, you pick up this, you sort those sorts of things. Uh, you know, maybe you get you sit down with a pair of shoes and you start to learn how to polish and remove old waxes and things of that nature. So, you know, those are the kind of, I would say, a little more menial type tasks you do uh, so that you don't wind up putting a, uh, you know, a knife into your hand or something (laughs) Yes, Uh, (laughs) like that. So, yeah, consequently, you know, as I said, when you get, when you get into that, slightly maybe preteen and teenage years, you, then you start to 
start to get into it with a little more oomph and zest and uh, whatnot so that you can do tasks and learn tasks uh, in a proper manner and, uh, you know, have the agility and the strength to uh, to be able to do some of those things. So it's, uh, it's a long maturation process. It doesn't just kind of, you know, fall out of a tree and all of a sudden you're, you're crowned apprentice one or apprentice two or whatever, uh, that sort of situation that, uh, you know, gets you from uh, point A to point B to C and et cetera, et cetera. So there's, there's a lot to it. And I, I still, in many ways, if I visit with other shoemakers or speak with them, uh, there's always stuff to learn. I mean, there's always ways of, uh, you know, learning to do a, a new task or a different task or something you didn't think about or uh, ponder for some reason or another because you start to get into your own uh, shoemaking rhythm, so to speak. So uh, I would say that, uh, yeah, the crux of the work was was sometimes menial, but... Uh, yeah, I think the only thing I would say, you know, with me is, is there, there's a big chunk chunk of my my young life that I that just sort of I wouldn't say disappeared off the face of the earth, but uh, you know, I wasn't going to after school events and uh, groups and things like that. I I you know went to my father's workshop to to go to work. Uh, that, that was fun for you. Well, it was fun to me, but there was another part of me that kind of wished, geez, there's another, there's another, another world out there that I'm not really uh, seeing and enjoying as a, as a, as a adolescent, I guess that uh, some kids uh, would like to have had, um, or maybe more common. So yeah, you get, I, but you know, I think in a lot of ways, uh, families of um, People who are artisans, uh, I don't think that's terribly unusual, especially considering our Italian heritage um, and, you know, whether it's people from Croatia or, you know, other places that do these kinds of tasks and artisanal type of work. I think that's fairly common in those kinds of small family businesses. And I guess, I mean, apprenticing i guess in at least in the clothing industry is kind of well at least back then back then i'm guessing was kind of normal right uh well it seemed to be as long as you had sons the daughters you know were not uh you know part of that equation but yeah so if you had you had uh had the boys uh you know help help your dad out and he needs he needs help in the shop uh, you know whatever it was you you just kind of put in your time so that was it. Uh huh. Well, and I guess I mean maybe this is jumping onto the the next um, subject area. You you mentioned learning from your father, and then learning. I mean, as you got older, you you learned from, uh, I guess, fellow shoemakers. Was mm-hmm. there ever this sense of, I mean, you know, like secrecy that, well, you know, I I know all these tricks, and I'm not going to share them, or or you know, your father like had these. I mean, I guess that's maybe a little different being a father-son relationship. But, I mean, talking with other shoemakers, there was never this, um, like, I'm not going to share these special things that I, you know, took me ages to figure out. Um, 
or, or was it just open like oh here's something that took me forever to do i'm going to share it i would say with my between my father and myself it wasn't like that when you go to work for other people who have their own businesses and their own techniques and things like that there are and I've met them, I've been around them, um, you know, whether it's been here in the States or whether it's been when I've been working and going to school in Europe, uh, there, there are those that, you know, they don't want to show you. They're, they're, they're afraid that the, you know, these techniques or secrets that, uh, they have, uh, you know, have to be kept, uh, and not, and not you know given freely uh, so I, I you know there there are some some things that i've experienced personally and i've heard other stories about pretty much other people trying to go to work for individuals and uh, there's just you know so much that they'll show you so that they don't i don't know whether it's it's the power or like to feel like they're you know, giving something up if they share the the secret with you. I I don't know exactly how to explain that. I never quite felt that way when I struck out on my own, but uh, I I have experienced it firsthand. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, you know, it, it kind of gives like this, like like uh, you know, Harry Potter type of world of you know, I I know this magic spell and you know, it it's like my secret weapon. Um, and that you know that's like kind of defines like, you know, my stuff. So, I mean, but you know, I mean, the clothing industry, I guess it, it, there seems to be a lot of secrecy, you know, you know, even just as well, a, a buyer, um, you know, going to a shop or whatnot, you just feel like I don't know anything and they know all these things. And I can't, I don't even know if they're telling me is, is, um, you know, honest or, or not. It's just a lot of, um, stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Um, well, and, yeah, I, I yeah, sure. I, I I agree with that. I mean, and I know I know obviously many custom tailors in New York City specifically, but um, yeah, they they talk about some of these same experiences. Uh, you know, trying to you know sit at the table of of, of, of their teacher, their master, or whoever uh, you, you know you want to you know partner up with, uh, and and having the same sort of struggle trying to get them to open up about how they do things. How do you make that scene look, come out so nice and that blind stitch that you use, eh, don't worry. It's on, on. <laughs> you'll learn, you'll learn sooner or later. You, you just, just one thing at a time. So yeah, there's, it, it just, I think it happens for whatever reason. I don't know whether it's just something that's part of the apparel industry or not. Uh, uh, and, and I can, you know, will put shoes into that boat as well. So, but it, it, it definitely does happen that I'm aware of. And as I said, maybe, maybe people who, you know, make knives have certain secrets of how they hammer steel or whatever. So yes, it's, it seems to be something with the, uh, the the artisanal mindset for whatever reason so who knows okay and, and i'm not going to say i'm going to force you to give up any any secrets but uh hopefully at some point in the conversation whether it's today or maybe <clears throat> in a in a the next episode or, or what have you if um, we don't get there but I, I definitely would like to you know maybe cover some um common questions that you know your average joe might may have about shoes and, and see what your expert um opinion 
is on them. And I'll, I'll okay. say opinion just to no, not say that. Well, it's you know what they the say about opinions, Philip. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but you know, you'll you'll be it'll be an experts. Um, so uh, just be something different than I think. You know, your random person on the internet forum. So that's that's what I'm trying to get at. Oh, got you. Yeah, but okay. I mean, um, so I guess one one thing um, I, I want to mention about the, the the subject of how you trained. I mean, I, I mentioned that you had gone to Italy um, to to learn, but you know, I actually read in another interview you, you learned mostly um, from working with you know, as you mentioned, with other folks. I mean, is that is that right? Like you learned, I guess, more outside school than um, in it about yeah. shoemaking? Uh, well, I would say the, you know, the technical side of the industry that I learned a lot about when I was going to school in Italy is, is different than a lot of the actual hands-on when you're you know, cutting and stitching and putting things together and thinking about how you have to uh, get the balance of things right. I mean, certainly it's part of design and part of the shapes that you use for uh, the lasts for an individual person. So um, I think anything else, it's um, the stuff in Italy, uh, while it was a lot, classroom based uh i did spend some time with some individual makers uh to just kind of get some chops of what they were doing and seeing how they were doing it and kind of get an idea of what the flavor of things were from a style i would say probably more from the stylistic point of view and what was going on in the industry and the thought processes of uh, how seasonal changes in, in men's footwear specifically uh, were being talked about and configured. So, so some of that was a little less, you, you know, the actual making by hand. Um, so yes, there's some of the shoemakers I worked with, uh, when I came back stateside because I didn't have my own business then my father was still kind of in a, a period of flux, uh, with his business. And, um, so I was working with guys out on the West coast and I was learning a lot because I was just kind of thrown into the pot, so to speak. And, you know, just required to work and work alongside other guys who had the skill sets and whatnot. So we we tended to work, I wouldn't necessarily so much say as teams. I mean, some guys who uh, had been there longer, uh, who hadn't had tenure, you know, got sort of the lion's share of things until you could kind of prove yourself. But oftentimes we were just given uh, a specific grouping of customers for a specific operation, let's say, to whatever it is. Um, and and you, you did that sort of on a repetitive basis. I mean, obviously, there are some things that kind of got you out of that little 
routine sort of thing. But, you know, generally speaking, yeah, there were a lot of different people, uh, whether that was in the orthopedic realm or just the regular shoemaking or non-orthopedic requirements that uh, I picked up along the way that helped, you know, get me to a decent point of maturation. Hmm. I mean, and so was this like a, I mean, you make it sound like it was kind of like an assembly line type of deal. Was this like a, a big factory of, of sorts? No, actually it wasn't there. The, the guy, uh, the one guy I worked with in, uh, in Los Angeles, we made a lot of shoes for the Hollywood crowd way back when, back in the, well, that been uh, uh, early, kind of early mid to latter part of the seventies is when I was working there. And uh, I would say that, you know, he had, you know, an A-list and I'm one of my, one of the guys shoes that I worked on a lot were Dean Martin's shoes. So uh, he had very specific, situations about his footwear that he wore when he performed in Las Vegas and we had to you know make sure that things were done to accommodate height issues because of the showgirls that he uh, uh, worked with on stage so you know those kinds of things like when you were given a customer and you worked on his shoes you you, you pretty much did a, a lot of the stuff for that shoes on your own so it had like one i would say sort of master signature to it and and you kind of took it from you know almost to a completion then you you kind of passed it off so that's kind of how those work and there were several individual clients you know that sort of got funneled into me and then but the shop was still relatively small i mean nowhere i'm trying to think in I think back many all those many years ago, I think there were about four four or five of us that did actual assembly, you know, lasting the shoes, getting the welts on, and uh, or just doing the midsoles if we were doing like a plate construction. So, uh, and then there was one predominant last, not last maker per se, but a guy who would adjust last. Um, the guy that uh, had the shop, uh, he he had a lot of lasts that he purchased over in Italy in lots of sizes and shapes and things like that. So we did the modifications. But there was one guy that was sort of responsible for that and then doing the pattern work and cutting the patterns and getting the uppers done. So there, it was, in essence, kind of like an assembly line, uh, but on a very small scale. Got it. Okay. And and I guess um, for the li listeners that, you know, are, I guess, not not really into the technical details of, of shoes, a last is kind of like a, um, I guess, almost like a model of the individual's foot that you can kind of shape the leather to Correct. get the shoe to Correct. to match. Okay. And, and I guess, I mean, sp speaking about kind of you're touching on the process, I mean, you probably mentioned it hundreds of times, but I mean, would you like to maybe give a quick rundown on the process of making um, you know, hand handmade shoes, just, just so folks kind of get a sense of what goes on um, in making them? Well, uh, for me specifically, I can describe how I go about doing this from the time I make an appointment with a customer, potential customer, to 
to getting the shoe finished. Uh, I start with the obvious, uh, you know, getting them here in my space, and I take a fair amount of time in talking to them about uh, their wardrobe needs, uh, their specific shoe needs, whether they've got some foot issues that need to be dealt with. Um, I talk about, you know, color palette, you know, um, and also uh, type of or level of, of dressing or what they're going to use the shoes for. You know, they, uh, do they go into a fairly formal office setting on a regular basis where they might need something that's a little more special? Is their work environment a little more casual? Do they just want them for casual and to just be smart around home? Uh, so there's a lot that goes into it. You know, what's going on in their wardrobes as far as uh, some clothes choices. I mean, I don't try to get too deep of a dive into all of that stuff, but I need to, in in my way of thinking, the way you 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 get to uh, making a good choice for an individual is you shoe making and shoe fitting, it really starts between the ears, like what's going on inside their head. Um, you know, where do they see themselves, how they want to present themselves, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a bit of a, if you want to call it a psychological or a wardrobe profile, I tried to uh, build up in their profile so that I can make them something that they're going to be happy with and, and, and happy for a long time. I mean, we're not talking about an inexpensive process here. So the, I tell people that the last thing I want you to do is, you know, buy a shoe just because it looks like really cool or fabulous or it's an incredible color or something like that. And then three, four, whatever, many months down the road, you say, I don't know, what the hell did I do this for? And it's like, and they wind up sitting in your closet, you know, it's so the, Choosing the right situation for the individual is of utmost importance, and that requires a little bit of a, as I said, a, a clothing wardrobe. You know what's going on about your thought processes. Building that profile so that you have that down first, and then, then the other stuff sort of flows fairly easily from the taking individual measurements of each feet. It's probably, I would say, I don't know, roughly maybe six to eight measurements I might take for each foot. Uh, and then you know, the comparison between the two, if there's any discrepancies, and et cetera, which oftentimes there are. And then from that process, I have to develop a a pattern of the the shape of particular last that the shoe is going to be built on and what the footbed has to represent as part of that piece of material and be able to do it for both the left and the right foot. Uh, after that, the, the, the paperwork is sent to a friend of mine in the UK who makes lasts for me over there based on my specifications. So fortunately we're, even though we have a time difference and everything else, we, we try to get in uh, touch with each other if there's any questions so that uh, I wind up getting 
what I want from him and he can interpret what I'm trying to accomplish uh, on my end with respect to the client. So after that, when everything comes back, uh, that's when the process starts of actually drafting the patterns. And uh, what I tend to do, which is, I believe, fairly consistent with a lot of spoke shoemakers, is I make a shoe that is a, pretty close to a replication of what the style may be. I don't tend to use the, 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 the finished leather that I'm going to use. I make an insignificant looking shoe that has some of the bells and whistles about the styling lines and things like that. So, and with a temporary bottom on it so that they can try it on to see how it fits, whether we need to make any adjustments, et cetera, et cetera. So that appointment, second appointment uh, might take, anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes, give or take. I mean, literally the customer can can lace up the shoes on their feet, walk around, et cetera. And then if I have to make any adjustments, I can literally write directly onto this temporary shoe what might need to be done, what might need to be adjusted here, taken away there, added there, et cetera. And after that, then the process starts with cutting or adjusting the patterns if need be, and then cutting the leather that was selected for the finished shoes, the linings, and all the internal parts. That all gets put together over time. Certain things don't happen quickly sometimes, depending on uh, having to paste things together. Sometimes these things have to be... um, uh, sort of have a maturation process uh, on a couple of three days before you can work on it again. There might be some issues with having to wet leather to shape it and mold it properly. So you, there's all these sort of hurry up and wait situations that you have to encounter and uh, deal with. So over time, we eventually get to the finished product. I uh, may depending on the client's foot. But if there's something not too totally out of whack with their feet, I'll pretty much make the finished shoe, get the shoe trees ready for it, and invite them in to get the finished product. And that's pretty much how the process goes. Now, I may have another fitting for other kinds of customers who may have more problematic foot issues that, and not that I'm making orthopedic shoes or anything like that, that's not really my business, but there are some people who, while their feet might look somewhat similar to each other from left to right, there could be some orthopedic issues that are within my purview to be able to take care of uh, without having to you know, make the shoes look clunky or Uh, uneven or anything like that. So that's more of a rarity than not. So uh, typically, you know, as I said, only in a somewhat more extreme case will I have them back in for uh, a second or third fitting. So after that, as I said, you know, the shoe process pretty much goes fairly quickly from there. You know, get them polished, get the finishing done on it, get all the, as I said, little bells and whistles in, in order, shoe trees, 
for the shoes that are made uh, to fit uh, according to the way the lasts were made for the individual. So that's pretty much the, the ball game from start to finish. I don't know if you give yourself enough credit because uh, having seen or, or taken part in the whole <laughs> um, shoe, even the try on shoe making process, I mean, that that's quite a, a process, which I mean, you kind of only hinted on the the cutting of the leather, the measuring of the leather, the kind of putting together the, the mock-ups to make sure everything looks balanced and then, you know, redoing everything, redoing the cutting and such and such if if it doesn't. Um, I mean, it, it's quite a process, I think, um, being with yeah, you in those mean, few weeks. It's like yeah. th- there's a lot that goes on um, that that you do and, and you do it all by yourself. So which I mean, th- the hours just flew by, you know, it would just take a half a day. And, I'm, and I, I realized all I did was cut leather. I didn't even get to like <laughs> putting it together or anything. Um, so, it, I mean, sure, I, I'm new, but it, it seemed like there's a lot of work that, that actually goes on, which um Maybe you didn't. I felt like you didn't give yourself enough, yourself enough credit in in the process. But well, there's I mean, yeah. I mean, there there is a lot of man hours that go into this. So I, I'm not I'm not trying to uh, minimize it. Uh, I think maybe just because I do so many of these processes by rote, it doesn't seem to phase me um, these days. And consequently, uh, you know, it's not meant to, as I said, you know, minimize the, the work and the effort that goes into it. It's, as I said, it just sort of is there and I just kind of deal with it in my own mindset about how everything comes, has to come together and, and do what you got to do. So just, it's yeah. just all part of the shoe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, and, and when you touch on the orthopedic part, is that, like you were, you were you referring to, you know, insoles that you were building um, for shoes. That way, you can have them built into the shoe. Or, or were you talking about something, um, something else? Well, there are situations where people who, uh, especially as we seem to be getting, um, an old, you know, our older generation, or certainly my generation, who are starting to experience these issues about um, plantar fasciitis. Uh, you know, uh, issues of um, pronation, which is how your feet tend to um, tip to the inside. Uh, um, you know, so there's there are people that are, are the orthotic business has gone gangbusters with the older generation, and even some of the younger generation. I think some of it is overprescribed, but some of it is not. So consequently, whether or not a person is really having a problem or not, but they kind of get into this notion of, well, I've got to have orthotics or else, you know, I can't really walk properly or my feet hurt or whatever it is. And they say they insist that they want to have an orthotic built into the process of the shoemaking. So it's it, it really fits the way it should be. Uh, we will or I will take care of that issue for them. It obviously costs more to do that sort of a thing, but to have it built into the shoe so that no matter where you are, uh, you know, when your shoes go with you, your orthotics go with you too, because they're already in there. And I've done that exclusively, not exclusively, but I've done it a a lot for um, a particular customer of mine who's in the, entertainment business in uh, New York City uh, who 
uh, came to me with like really complaining about how his feet are giving him problems, but he's got these issues where he's you know having to wear orthotics, and every time I buy a pair of shoes off the rack and I put my orthotics in, I can't keep the shoes on my feet. Blah 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 blah. So I've made him I don't know probably a good half a dozen pairs of shoes uh, that have the orthotics built into him, and he, he just you know he loves them. He said this has like been an answer to my prayers of being able to, you know, go to meetings or go wherever I've got to go and just have all that stuff right there. And it's so easy for me and it, it gives me everything I, I need in, in my footwear. And so that's, that's when it can kind of get a little long in the tooth with respect to, you know, getting those issues together for a particular client who wants that, that additional service. So, um, so that's kind of, you know, getting, I know, a little long-winded about that, but uh, we do we do do that as well when somebody wants to get that insert built into the shoes so that they have it there permanently. Right. Well, yeah, I just want to touch on it because, you know, it's not something that I think people think about, at least. Um, I, I mean, I feel like when people talk about getting shoes, maybe sometimes, you know, it helps to know your feet a little more, maybe going to, you know, the, the doctor or, or, or whatnot, just seeing if, you know, there's other issues you want to think about just, you know, other than, well, I want a shoe that looks nice and, and fits me. Well, you know, maybe you want to know if um, your current structure, of you know, feet, like they, they aren't crooked or, or, you know, if you need insoles or whatnot, at, at least it, that just comes from my personal experience of if I had known or if I had gone to right. the podiatrist first. If I'd known then what I know now. Yeah. 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 Cause I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't realize the whole time I had like, part of bone sticking out of, of my foot. Yeah. So that, that, yeah, that would have been nice to know, I guess. So it, it's just one of those things I, I felt like bringing up. Um, well, I, I think part of the, the whole situation of people's feet, uh, you know, I think like anything else, maybe of our body parts, we sort of take them for granted. You know, we, we sometimes have situations where, uh, you know, or you know, have a freshly minted degree, and we're you know off to our new possible dream position in a company, and you know we're trying to impress our bosses and our boss's boss and our boss's boss above him, and et cetera, et cetera. And I had this this quintessential customer years ago, and again in New York, who um, he was a big VP of a you know well-known company, and. He said, boy, he said, you know, I just, when I was young and I was just didn't have a lot of money in my, my pockets, I was buying, you know, anything that even fit me halfway decent. And over the years, he said, I just abused the hell out of my feet. And uh, next thing I know, I'm like half crippled and, I'm, you know, got these hammer toes and this and that and everything. And I, I did wind up making him a pair of shoes. It was a bit of a struggle, but he was very happy with them. But, you know, that's the thing that can happen with people if they're not paying attention. And it happens, obviously, a lot in women's fashion because, you know, when you're young and you want to be up on everything and, you know, going out and looking, styling and everything else. And, and men to some degree, too, now, uh, a little more of that, that peacock syndrome that's, uh, you know, invading their mindset. But, yeah, if you don't have... Um, good footwear on your feet and there's a lot of bad footwear out there probably more bad footwear than there's good footwear 
you can really do some serious damage with yourself, but the problem is it doesn't manifest itself while you're in your 20s and maybe even in your 30s, and you start getting you know into that fourth decade, fifth decade, and all of a sudden these issues of, of neuromas and various other things start cropping up, and uh, then you're in, as they say, the deep doo-doo. So uh, take care of your feet. It, uh, and, and choose wisely when it comes to footwear because it will pay dividends down the road. <laughs> That's, that sounds like one of those, you know, public service announcements. They gotta, yeah, they should stick on your, you know, those, um, like a uh, footlocker. What you know, you know how they have those like parental warning advisories on on CDs. Or I don't know, if, I don't know if people still buy CDs or whatnot. But they always had like explicit lyrics or, or you know, may may whatever. They they should have that kind of stamp on like a, I mean. On the shoe store or, or whatnot to i mean well, not, i don't know maybe yeah maybe maybe one of those uh i don't know 20 seconds uh, for a prior to uh, cnn coming on the air you know we can get a little <laughs> a little a little blurp out there yeah so anyway but yeah foot feet are uh, you know we've got not you know all the moving parts were for a good for most of the moving parts are you know, in the in the front of the foot, so uh, and they're very delicate, uh, thin bones and tissues and everything else there. So, yeah, no, I think it's something. Um, certainly, it's like you know one of the few, I guess, choices in your outfit that you know may, yeah. may actually have some uh, yeah. long term health yeah. consequences. And, so, and, and I, yeah, yeah and, and as an addendum to that, and I got, I'm, I'm not trying to toot my own horn by any stretch of the imagination, but I will say. The problem, a big problem, is that there aren't that many people who know, uh, as I say, shit from Shinola when it comes to footwear, uh, and um, because we are buying so much imported footwear, I mean cheap, cheap footwear, because nobody wanted to do the work here. It's uh, not that there aren't some good makers or a few good makers left here, but you know, we, we want everything made for us and we would just want to throw it on, pull it out of a box and, and go happily on our way. But uh, I would say that if you start buying shoes that are cheap shoes, you're going to get um, what you pay for. You're gonna get. You're gonna get. Yeah. Well, you get what you pay for, and then you're. You but you. You know, you wind up paying the price not just in multiple pairs over time, but uh, perhaps in some serious foot issues down the road. So just be wise, be a good consumer. So right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, on on that subject, I mean, um, you know, you kind of described how how you might make shoes, uh, but. You, I mean, from what I understand, you've actually visited quite a few factories um, before and, and kind of seen how shoes are made in, in factories. Uh, I'm kind of curious, mm-hmm. like, I mean, other than the part of, of doing things by hand, right. do you want to touch on some of the, I guess, differences between, you know, how you or, or anyone who, I mean, I guess maybe mostly you uh, would make shoes and how a factory would make shoes, maybe like the material or, you know, the, the type of material, the amount of material, the, I don't know, just, I mean, different things just because, well, you know, you, th- there is a difference, right? Or, I mean. Well, there is a difference. I mean, the, you know, the finished product, they may 
you know, if you did a side by side, they might look the same. They might have, you know, sort of similar details and things like that. But machine made shoes, and it's not that, that necessarily that they're bad, but they're, um, you know, they're made, they're made in the hopes that they'll fit particular shapes and sizes and things like that where you know, we take the opposite approach we we build we build the shoe around the foot rather than you know hoping that you know your shoes will fit multiple customers clients uh people but you know it's the difference between a mass produced product and a bespoke product or a product that's made for the individual so um you know, in some respects, I would say the factories that I have um, done some work with and just done some observations at certain times of my trajectory, they're not that they're they're not bad shoes at all. Actually, they're they're actually very, you know very well made. But I, as I said, they're made in standard sizes and widths. And the techniques, while there's some similarities between how I do the shoemaking that I do and how I put them together, they're just done on a uh, in a quicker process. You know, you've got a team of people there. When you one person is just cutting out pattern pieces, and then they get sent along, and so you know, each step of the way, the the shoe gets assembled. Uh, it just gets assembled in a much quicker timeline. And uh, but a lot of the factories, again, that I have dealt with and uh, spent time with, they use good materials: uh, uh, you know, leather inside, outside, leather internal components. Uh, some of them are synthetic, uh, and. Um, the outsoles, heel pieces, and things like that. You know, they're all very good professional people, and they have a good um, mindset about uh, the aesthetic of the shoe. So it just, you know, what takes me, you know, 60-some hours to do, you know, they can produce, <laughs> I don't know how many pairs, I guess, depending on the particular uh assembly process and, and, and factory and whatnot. But um, so, you know, that's, I don't know if that answers your question. Um, well, well, I think well I mean, maybe, maybe it did because, um, I mean, you kind of harped on the fact that, um, you know, what you do is you, you look at the customer's foot and, and what they're thinking about and try to get on the same wavelength and get something that, you know, matches that. Whereas factory isn't, really going to be able to do that because they're just making the no, shoe and hoping the customer fits in the shoe. So the other way yeah, around, and, and maybe, um, you know, having a shoe that fits is kind of the big difference in, in you know, the quality and longevity because it's actually made for you. So, you know, it's, you're going to get more miles out of it. You're going to, you know, be able to just use it longer and it's going to feel better and, you know, all, all that. Um, whereas, factory shoe you know if something doesn't fit and you keep using it you know eventually things happen and so maybe i mean yeah. I, if i'm completely wrong um, say say so but maybe that's no, the I'm, point you're getting no. at it's like it's it's all those little things add together yeah. 
make make that yeah. make that difference. Yeah. Well, lo- certainly longevity is is a, a big part of it. I, I mean, you know, but you know, there's some good factor issues. Like some of the guys in the UK and and, and Italy and France. I mean, you know, some of those shoes are are really nicely built, nice, uh, you know, good leather components um, inside and out, um, meticulous. Uh, styling and all of that stuff, and with with proper care and maintenance, yeah, they'll they can last you twenty twenty five years, maybe more. So uh, bespoke shoes will do the same. Uh, they may just do it on a different level. Um, and you're dealing with you know factory setting. It's you know economies of scale, whatever you want to call it. And you know, you're dealing with an artisan who is just, you know, kind of piece does everything. You know, it, it's, you probably if you went into a factory and took a guy who's basically referred to as a clicker, which all it really uh, refers to as a, a person who stands at a at a press um, or now a computer um, computer cutter laser cutter uh and just cuts out parts all day based on pattern acquisition and things like that so um the and but i would say some of the difference there is when i select a part of the the calf skin that i'm using for a customer's shoe i'm a lot more selective of where i cut from in a factory setting you know, they want to maximize every square millimeter of those pattern pieces. So they'll nest them very close. They might use parts of the skin that I would reject outright. But again, you know, they want to get the best bang for their buck. So, um, so that can be part of the slippery slope of manufacturing as opposed to uh, handmade. And that could be true of uh, you know guys who are making suits and whatnot as well. So um, you know I, I don't I don't bemoan the way they, they do their processes. They they are set up for that specific situation. So consequently, as, as I said, it doesn't necessarily mean you're getting a bad shoe. It's just it's just different, right. different in some ways, but not in others. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know, I know before we started this conversation, you mentioned, um, you know, you only have a certain amount of time. I just want to check. I mean, um, if you need to leave, feel free to say so and we can always continue. Yeah, I'm I'm probably running up against the clock here, so I probably should uh, get my butt moving and uh, we'll, we can pick this up again uh, maybe sometime this coming week. Yeah, yeah, let's. No, but I mean, I appreciate it. Uh, I mean, I think, okay. Yeah. Thanks for being here, Barry. Not a problem. Thanks for having me.